According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow as we, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to open up in a word of prayer here. We're going to pray for those plumbers out there. <laughs> We're going to pray extra hard for those plumbers out there. How about that? And then we'll pray for the uh, truth of the word of God as we study here this morning to show ourselves approved. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we come before you this morning with just so much, Father, we could lay upon you. We could spend the whole hour in prayer just laying these matters before you. We thank you for the blessings you've provided abundantly. We thank you for this new building. Uh, today makes six years since we received our occupation uh, certificate, and uh, we're thankful for that. Uh, Father, right now the occupation's in jeopardy if the plumbing goes bad, so we pray for that too. Father, pray for those plumbers that uh, they'll find what they need to find and, and, and get taken care of. Also the air conditioner, Father, the fix was a temporary fix and we're not sure what a permanent fix is going to take, so that's in your hands as well. Father, uh, just thank you for being faithful. So many other things, Father. Uh, Last night, Doug and I had some ministry. I want to thank you for that and give you the praise and glory for that. Father, there's some demons prowling around. We pray that you'd cast them out immediately, drive them far from us. And uh, then finally, Father, I've got an unspoken item uh, up in Tulsa. It's in your hands. Uh, Pastor Eric Bush is very faithful and he's dealing with things and uh, just bless him and encourage him in every way. And so these matters, Father, we're just delighted to lay them up before you. And finally, Father, for Pastor Dan, I thank you for Corpus Christi Bible Church and for the candidating process that now is being extended. And we just rejoice, Father, in the the careful consideration that they are taking in this uh, very important step. So we give that to you as well, Father, and pray for your grace to, to shine forth. Now, Father, today for our truth, uh, the truth out of Proverbs 10 that you're going to bless us with, open the eyes of our understanding, Father. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. As we're looking at it, we are in the midst of actually almost ready to wrap up main point eight. And so we're looking at verses six through 11, verses six through 11. And I know I fixed the uh, word document, but I probably, yep, failed to fix this one. Take the N off the word inclusion, all right? It's not an inclusion, it's an inclusio. It is an inclusio, which is a uh, structure of poetry. It's a structure of literature. It means that we're starting with a principle, we're ending with a principle. And in verse 6, you see the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. In verse 11, you see the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And so it's repeated there from verse 6 to verse 11. And these form then the boundaries of our inclusio. Verses 6 through 11, we have a six-verse, 12-line inclusio that paints the present and future contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And we've been working our way through this, and we're nearly done with it. Um, We're talking about uh, a memory that is eternal and a memory that is gone. And uh, the lost memory of that which is forgotten. And eternally, that which is forgotten is that which needs to be forgotten. Uh, The unrighteous uh, in, in the plan of God that is, the righteous shine forth forever, and the wicked do not. And so, uh, verse 7, we spent some time there. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And that's uh, an amazing principle, in particular, if you're called upon to preach an awkward funeral for either an unbeliever or a carnal believer or some very ugly things that are going on, all right? Uh, what is the memory there? And you're not going to stand in front of God's people and lie to them and uh, misrepresent the gospel or misrepresent the scriptures. And so in some cases, it's, uh, it's a tough work assignment. 
All right, then we get to some of these other aspects. He who walks in integrity walks securely. That is the genuineness, the openness of integrity, whereby there's nothing secret, there's nothing hidden. You say what you mean, you're not lying about it. You're not saying one thing and then giving the wink signal to, to the other person to go along with your deception. All right? But he who perverts his ways will be found out. He who winks the eye causes trouble. And that's the issue there. We've got the dishonorable communication on the part of the crafty, the crafty life that fears exposure and uh, always trying to stay one step ahead and always trying to track which lie they told to which person. All right? So they don't, you know, uh, we might... We might, uh, in fact, we got the, the, the Olympic swimmer now that's caught in his lie in the, in the aspect there for illustration, uh, illustration purposes and uh, aspects there. No, if you're walking in integrity and you're walking in, in genuine truth, then you don't have to remember which lie you told to which person because you're always telling the truth. And so the next time somebody asks you about it, you can tell them the same truth again. Uh, and, and so it's the simplicity of this that uh, we can't appreciate. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And we have a principle here, and this is where we are, because it's a dichotomy, if you think of it in those terms. The same mouth can do two different things. And James speaks to this in the book of James. It's the same tongue that blesses, it's the same tongue that curses. That's why it's so vital that we get a handle on the tongue. That's why it's critical that, uh, that our thinking is right, so that our speech is right, so that our actions are right. In, uh, in this capacity. So as I go down now to the subpoints, A, B, C, D, E, and F, under D we were talking about that crafty life that fears exposure, but the walk of integrity has nothing to fear. You know, the, the, uh, he who perverts his ways will be found out. You know, and what a blessing it is, especially when Satan or one of his minions tries to threaten you with exposure, Right? And you just smile and say, hey, whatever is going to be found out, find it out now. You know, uh, it, it will all be exposed to the judgment seat of Christ, but I don't mind if it's all exposed right here, right now. It's a transparent walk before the Lord, because in the integrity of my walk, this is what it is. All right. And uh, my deacons received an email expressing unhappiness with me. And uh, well, there it is. All right. So, uh, and the the person that complained used the the contact form on the on the website to send a, 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 a note to the deacons in that so I didn't mind I forwarded to all the deacons to say let's talk about it we made it an agenda item at our deacons meeting on Sunday and because it's all about transparency it's all about a walk of integrity and and I don't fear anything being found out and whatever let tell everybody it doesn't matter to me related to uh, different things. We may have more to illustrate on that here shortly as well with respect to dishonorable communication. Uh, but the crafty lie fears exposure, but the walk of integrity has nothing to fear. You know, I don't care who you tell or what you tell. If it's the truth, it's the truth. And so there it is. The crafty life produces temporal and eternal trouble. That's the nature of it there. We talked about that. And then the deadly mouth can also be a lifesaver. And that's what I want to spend today talking about. The fact that we are blessed it's a cursing and a blessing both. But what God has blessed humanity with, with verbal communication, the, the, he, he didn't design us like dogs that bark or cats that meow or dolphins that do their chirp, chirp thing, whatever, right? Animals communicate, insects communicate, plants communicate. It's staggering the things that communicate. Even atoms communicate. And I don't understand this, but atoms communicate. 
And Pastor Cliff was telling me about these atoms and you can take these electrons and, and split them and, and you can, if you spin one this way, the other one's going to spin that way, no matter how far you separate them. And the physicists don't know how. They don't know how, they don't know why, they just observe what happens. And they're just boggled, mind boggled. But I think, you know, there's a, there's a connection between those, those electrons and their spinning and whatever communicates between them. So when this one spins this way, that one spins that way. Whatever that, <clears throat> that communication channel is, just boggles the mind. You know, we, we live in a communicative universe. And it's extraordinary to consider everything that communicates. From, like I say, animals, plants, even the sun, moon, and stars communicate. We're told that they're there for signs and seasons and for communication. We live in a communicative universe. And so I like to expand, in, in my apologetic debates, I like to expand not only the fact that there is design in the universe, so there is a creator and a designer, the fact that there is a God, a creator that created these things, but also that God himself is a communicator. In his nature, he communicates because what he has created communicates. And it should come no, as no shock to us since it is the word who, communi- who created all things, right? God the Son is the word and he's the creator of all things. So uh, these things ought not surprise us. But here we have a contrast with our mouth. With our mouth. Are we going to praise him or are we going to curse him? Are we going to be a fountain of life giving the gospel to a troubled soul that needs eternal life? Are we going to be a fountain of life? Or are we going to be uh, concealing the violence? See, as we've talked about already from verse 6, uh, keeping things hidden, saying one thing while the reality is something else, in which case our tongue becomes a sword or our teeth become daggers or the weaponry of the mouth in that respect. So the deadly mouth can also be a lifesaver. And here's some principles. Verse 11 here from this chapter, which we've seen, Uh, If you glance down to verses 20 and 21, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. And so the value there, and the the word of God, you can't put a price tag on it. And when you're giving encouragement from doctrine, how do you put a price tag on that? Uh, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. And again, it's a benefit that comes verbally. A benefit that can come through the ministry of the Word of God. And uh, we want to understand how these things come together. We want to make the proper application of this. Okay, There are other passages that tell us, by the way, that, there are, that, that on occasion there are times that words are not enough. That you have to follow up the words with tangible help, with tangible blessings, with tangible financial supply. You know, you don't, don't just say, go and be warm, and you don't give them a coat, Right? So we have passages that address that. We want to understand what the balance is in in not discounting the verbal, but having the verbal in its proper place. All right? And if you offer to pray with somebody, that's a blessing. Even if they don't understand why. (laughs) Okay? It's a blessing. Down to uh, verse 32. Four verses all in the same chapter. The lips of the righteous bring forth what is acceptable. For the mouth of the wicked, what is perverted? See, and that's why Jesus said, you know, it doesn't take long to figure out what's in the heart because what comes out of the mouth? What comes out of the mouth? That tells you what's in the heart, the kind of words that are spoken and aspects there. You know, it shouldn't take too long to find out if, if your wife is carnal or not, or if your husband's carnal or not, or your children, are they in fellowship or out of fellowship? Well, what's coming out of their mouth? Okay, 
Nobody in fellowship does that. Okay? Anyway. Uh, chapter 13 and verse 14. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. And, uh, man, we understand this. We can illustrate this. I think in the Mary and Martha illustration we had this, right? Didn't Mary choose the better part? Wasn't she uh, just delighted to be sitting at the feet of Jesus? You know, I love that song. The the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. You know, when you you come face to face with a, with a solid Bible teacher, you sit there and you think, man, I could spend the rest of my life in, you know, in this ministry. I could listen to this person for hours and hours on end. There's a blessing there to turn aside from the snares of death. Chapter uh, 15 and verse 7. The lips of the wise spread knowledge, but the heart of fools, the hearts of fools are not so. You know, and in some of these too, I hope you're, you've caught the drift on this. Um, you, every single one of us ought to plug our names into this verse and put ourselves into that wisdom category. All right? The, the Lord will use us. Don't think, oh, well, that's just for pastors or that's just for evangelists or that's just for whatever. All right? No. Every single one of us, Proverbs is teaching all of us to walk in wisdom. Every single one of us ought to have words and they may not be appreciated. Our siblings or family members may not like what we have to say, but we're teaching the truth in love. We're speaking that which has blessed us. Every one of us has this opportunity to spread knowledge. And, uh, you know, (laughs) um, in a grace way, seasoned with salt, you don't want to be rude and obnoxious about it. But after, you know, be like the young man uh, Elihu, right, in the book of Job. You know, listen to the, 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 the stupidity to a point and then say, well, enough of that. Um, I, I got some things to say. And just, and just be gracious about it and say, you know, in my conviction of the Word of God, this is what it says. And they can search the Scriptures and see if these things are so. And lay it out there. Who knows if, whether God has not put you in a moment such as this in, uh, in these applications. Chapter 16. You got a trio of verses here, 22, 23, and 24. Understanding is a fountain of life to one who has it, but the discipline of fools is folly. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. See, this is the thing the Word of God is transforming you, and it gives power to what it is that you're saying. It's not, these aren't earthly words that you're using, it's divine truth, it's eternal truth that you're communicating. It's a fearsome thing when you're a communicator of the Word of God. And this is what He does when He works in and through you in in, in these activities, in these venues. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Healing to the bones. And uh, I'm sure you've experienced this. How many times have I experienced this? And the blessings that it is just to come alongside and to pray with somebody. To, to speak the truth to them. And even if, I mean, you may not even know. I mean, I remember the first hospital visit I ever did, I, was, uh, I wasn't even doing the visit. I was, I was tagging along. I, w- I went with Ralph, and Ralph went down to Seton and was visiting with, with the lady there. And, um, and, you know, he had words, he had scriptures, he had encouragement. And, uh, and uh, as we were leaving, they were like, wow, we're you know, what made you think of that? I would have never thought of that passage. I would have never thought of that passage. And, and Ralph just kind of grinned and said, uh, I don't know, the Holy Spirit just popped out of my head for some reason, you know? And you just, you just learn to listen and you learn to, 
you know, our ministry we had last night. You know, I don't know why some of those verses came out. I wasn't planning on those verses coming out, but you just trust that, you know, when your heart is prepared and, and the Lord will work through that. Okay? And it, I want to make sure we're solid on that because that's for for an an impromptu moment for a for a ministry um that just hits you out of the blue, you know, in public or in a grocery store. I mean, that's a valid principle to apply in those things, okay? Don't go where some of the Pentecostals go and make that a sermon preparation technique, okay? Because I've met people that will take what I've just described and they say, that's what you need to do as a pastor in the pulpit. Don't learn Greek, don't learn Hebrew, don't study, don't just stand up there and, and open your heart to the Holy Spirit and just preach to the, to the flock as the Spirit leads. All right? I don't train that way when I train pastors in this training ministry. That's not what we're called to do. You've got to, that's, you understand I'm talking about two different aspects here? Sermon prep for a pastor and feeding the flock is, is one thing. But then you or me or anyone just impromptu open door ministry. Just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to open your mouth and, and verses will come to you and then don't, don't sweat it. You know, and don't kill yourself with guilt afterwards for three hours afterwards thinking, oh, I should have said this, oh, I should have said that. Don't replay the conversation a hundred times in your head and, and, and kick yourself for not coming up with a better verse. The verse you came up with was the verse the Holy Spirit gave you at that time. And, and so just relax and let it go. You're gonna, it's going to be gold, silver, and precious stones in heaven. and That's great. All right. Sometimes I think he who sits in the heavens laughs and he's laughing at us half the time with <laughs> the, the stuff we end up doing. And he works in it. He works in it. That's why he gets all the glory. All right. Chapter 18. Chapter 18. Where did I leave off? We covered that? All right. So now we're there. Use my drawing tool to remind myself. Chapter 18. Verse 4 and verse 21. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. All right, can appreciate that. Verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now that takes some work. That's a verse we're going to spend some time with, because I think there's uh, some... uh, remarkable principles that we can dig out of that. But just consider the power of the tongue. Consider how you can you can bring about tremendous hurt. You can bring about tremendous comfort, tremendous blessing. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Do you believe that? Do you think the tongue is that powerful? We're going to talk about that. And those who love it, who love what? Who love the tongue? Now that that takes some work because how do we understand loving the tongue? I mean, are you fond of hearing your own self-talk? Are you, are you, I mean, does that, do you, do you take great delight in the sound of your own voice? I hate the sound of my voice. I, I never listen to my own tapes. It's horrible. But the, um, maybe I ought to try Dan's method. He, you listen at what, 1.5 speed or something? Is that any better? Okay, I'll try that. Find out what Alvin the Chipmunk sounds like when he teaches Jeremiah. But, Loving the tongue will eat its fruit. Will eat its fruit. And if we, if we, and, and I think there's a spiritual principle here beyond personality. Don't get me wrong. There, there are people that their personality is more talkative. There are people whose personality is more quiet. 
We're not dealing with personality. We're talking about a believer who learns to love the act of, of communicating, the act of speaking truth, the act of, of teaching. And, if, and the more you do this, the more you'll understand what I'm talking about. One of my first indicators that I had a pastor-teacher gift came in explaining Bible verses to people. And a roommate that said, what's this verse about? And a roommate that said, what's that verse about? And, and I found that I was able to explain things and it, it produced a joy. It produced a, a fulfillment. It produced a, a love to be able to explain things. And I found that, that not only was I answering their questions, but I, I, I ate the fruit of it. I was, I was delighted to answer those questions. See? And so eating the fruit of it, you realize that's a double-edged sword. Because that means when I hurt somebody with my words, if I say something careless, if I preach something incorrectly, if I, if I dishonor the Lord through something that's, that's not spoken well or spoken right, if I give my opinion and I try to pass it off as God's opinion, okay, that's coming up in Jeremiah. He's going to rebuke some false prophets for, for saying, thus saith the Lord, when they're just making it up themselves, okay? The communicator eats the fruit of that as well. He eats the fruit of that darkness. And that's not a meal anyone wants to eat. Okay? So just just mark that verse and chew on it for a bit. And I'm looking forward to making it rapture pending if, we, if we're here long enough to get to chapter 18. That uh, I think it's going to be a powerful chapter. Chapter 20 and verse 15. It's our next passage here. <laughs> it follows verse 14. Bad, bad, says the buyer, but when he goes away, then he boasts. And that's just the nature of business. That's the nature of, of bargaining and shopping. And, and you know, you're complaining about uh, the price, and, oh, I can't believe it's this expensive, right? And while, you're, while you're bargaining with the seller in the marketplace. And, uh, but then, you know, you go away and think, hey, I got a pretty good deal out of that. All right. There is gold and an abundance of jewels, but the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing the lips of knowledge are a more precious thing okay what is it that we provide here are we an atm do we hand out money what are we doing here at austin bible church we hand out something that's far better than money far eternal in this respect psalm 37 all right we have a proverbs now back up to the psalm psalm 37 Verses 30 and 31. Psalm 37, verses 30 and 31. And unlike Proverbs, sometimes the Psalms need a larger context to fit the, the verses in there, but well, we can let that go. Um, well, we can start with verse 27. Depart from evil and do good, so you, who, uh, so you will abide forever. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever, but the descendant of the wicked will be cut off. See, and this is, I think this is Davidic, right? Psalm 37? Yes. Obviously, how much of this now influences Solomon in, in the writing of Proverbs? Um, verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. And so there we have it again. 
You know, the, the blessings of knowing that God is with you, the blessings of knowing that your heart is being transformed. You know, Romans 12 is, is valid in every dispensation. Uh, the, the, the renewing of your mind through the Word of God, that's not just a church age phenomena. That was true in the Old Testament. David's mind was renewed. Every psalmist was re- renewed. Anybody in the Word of God, their thinking is going to be renewed. That's not simply a church age uh, blessing. And so, uh, when you're uh, being renewed by the Word of God, when your heart is being transformed, your, your mouth then becomes the conduit that you get to be able to bless others in this capacity. And we can trust that. Those, uh, those older believers, those men of wisdom, those women of wisdom, we learn to trust their wisdom, we learn to appreciate the words that they're blessing us with because we know their heart has been transformed. And I think it's interesting, when, when David wanted to build a temple... He told the prophet Nathan, he said, I'm going to build a temple. And, and what did Nathan tell him? He said, yeah, great idea. He said, the Lord is with you. Do all that is in your heart. Right? And it wasn't until that night in a dream that the Lord appeared to the prophet Nathan and said, whoa, 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 slow that down. Good idea, but wrong, wrong king. Good, great idea, I appreciate the thought, but it's going to be your son Solomon that's going to build the temple, not you, David. The shadow doctrine of, of, of war and peace and everything that David and Solomon represent means that Solomon had to be the king to build the temple, not David. Okay? And so, but, but, but before they got that answer, the, the indication was there, the prophet Nathan said, hey, the Lord is with you. You know, wonderful idea. The Lord is with you. Do all that is, you have purposed in your heart. Okay? Same thing with giving, as a man is purposed in his heart. These are the principles, I think, that, that we, we rejoice in, that we trust as, as God's working in us to willing to do of his good pleasure. And then we can rest confidently knowing if we're wrong, he'll show us. <laughs> All right? If we're off track for whatever reason, if there's information beyond our scope that we're not aware of, then he'll, he'll, he'll let that be known. Okay? In all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your steps. We can appreciate that. All right. So that's uh, Psalm 37. We get to Psalm 45. Ooh, another favorite of mine. Psalm 45. And uh, this is a song celebrating the king's marriage for the choir director. A song of the sons of Korah, a song of love. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. And notice the thing that she loves about her king the most, the thing this bride loves about her husband the most, is uh, the way he communicates. All right? Helpful marriage tip there. Okay? Um, Men seem to struggle with... uh, communication and uh you know in different ways anyway i'll let that go i can get in trouble here pretty quickly that's psalm 45 and verse 2 but notice it's grace communication it's grace communication and uh, far more than um, i mean yes there's going to be wisdom and yes there's going to be knowledge and yes there's going to be everything else we've seen in those previous verses but don't think just because you don't have the answers that you can't say anything. You, even if you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay? I'm telling you, in grace, 
you can still provide wisdom and comfort and encouragement. You can be brutally honest and say, you know, I don't have the answers here, but God does. Let's pray about it. You can, in grace, communicate, all right, to your wife, your church, your whoever it is that you're shepherding in uh, in the application of of this verse here, okay. And obviously, though uh, this is Old Testament, they don't have a frame of reference for Christ in the church. They're in a context dealing with perhaps uh, one of the Davidic kings, or in perhaps Yahweh Himself with Judah in, in, in a metaphor or uh, aspects there. All right. That's Psalm 45. Let's get to some New Testament text. How about Ephesians 4.29? We should all be familiar with these. Ephesians 4.29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You know, like I say, when you're carnal, there's some things that come, but when you're spiritual, this verse ought to be applicable. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And uh, a lot of times this is beyond the scope of humanity. I mean, how do we know? I mean, we're, we're talking to a troubled soul and we barely know the person and, you know, I'm supposed to have some kind of wisdom for what they're dealing with? No, all I can do is trust by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that He's going to take me to, to passages that are going to help. You know, I, I don't know of any, well, you know, we, we could say there's no part of the Bible that would be bad or that would hurt, but, you know, we just want to make sure that we're being led by the Holy Spirit, that we're uh, using the, the verses that He leads us to use. And it's good for edification, for the building up. We're not here to tear them down. We're not here to say, well, you big dummy, what'd you expect? You know, we're, we're here to offer the, the building up that uh, even if it is, you know, consequences of their own poor decisions, it's still the opportunity to forget what lies behind and reach forward and say, all right, we're going to start making better decisions starting today. What, how, how are we going to adjust this? And uh, provide the scriptures there on that basis. Um, it goes on, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And uh, anytime I'm asked, well, how do you define the grieving of the Holy Spirit? I like to go to context. I like to say, well, what immediately surrounds that imperative? And uh, we've got a a string of imperatives and they seem to be linked. And it would seem to be, if I'm defying verse 29, well, then that's going to become the subject matter for grieving the Holy Spirit in verse 30. So those unwholesome words, grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, Non-graciousness grieves the Holy Spirit. Tearing down instead of building up grieves the Holy Spirit. See, we're supposed to be giving grace to those who hear, and if we're doing just the opposite, I think in the context of 29 to 30, we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Because see, it continues. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You know, think about if you don't put it away from you, then you're going to lash out. <laughs> you're going to say hurtful things because you yourself are allowing those hurtful things to, to dwell inside of you. Get rid of that. Get rid of that so you can be gracious in your speech. All right, well, we have Ephesians coming up as well. We're going to do Galatians, then Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. That's the order we're going to do over the next four years, six years. All right, Lord willing and rapture pending. Colossians 4, 6.
backing up to verse 5, it said, or even verse 4. I mean, look at this. Uh, he's asking for prayer here on his behalf. He wants boldness to speak. And uh, in verse 3, praying at the same time for us as well, the Lord will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which also I have been in prison, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Uh, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders making the most of the opportunity. And then here's the verse on the screen, verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And you know, it's not bad. If you don't know how to respond, you may start off slow. You may take a little taste and then decide, wait a minute, this needs more salt, <laughs> right? No, start off small. Don't just wolf the whole thing down. Take a small bite and, and see if it's salty enough. And then take another bite. Add more salt if you have to. Let your speech always be seasoned with salt so that you will know, uh, making, that's making the most of the opportunity, you will know how you should respond to each person. And then finally, the, ver- the passage we've referenced repeatedly, James 3, verses 9 through 11. And um, I find this interesting. If everything has been tamed, every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. That's extraordinary to me. Um, And I'm, I'm curious. In the ancient world, maybe they did a better job of it than we give them credit for in the modern world. We tend to think that, that we're so far more advanced and so forth. I'm starting to suspect that they were ahead of us in a lot of in a lot of capacities, in a lot of different things. Anyway, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And so you see it's the same tongue, it's the same mouth. We can use it for cursing, we can use it for blessing. That's why it's so dangerous. And and the answer is not to just shut your mouth and, and never say anything. Because if you do that, if you go into the Operation Silent Treatment, then you're not blessing your wife. Say, you're not blessing anyone. And, and we're commanded to. So with it we bless our Lord and Father, with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes both blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? You know, that doesn't happen in creation. That's what makes the mouth so amazing. That's what makes humanity, the capacity we have in, in, in uh, the image of God. It's, it's remarkable what uh, the capacity we've been given. The capacity of speech. Unlike, like I said, I started to illustrate earlier, the capacity of speech whereby we get to convey thinking. We get to convey intentions. We get to convey plans. We can communicate imaginations. There are things that we get to do that are wholly within the realm of the divine creativity that God has, has, has vested humanity with. He's the creator, but we are creative in His image. And it's extraordinary, the capacity that we have. And with that then comes tremendous danger in the capacity for wickedness, the capacity for 
darkened understandings and darkened imaginations and and the inventiveness of evil that can be expressed verbally and uh, bring about the great harm that it brings about there. All right. So we have the principle there. That wraps up the soliloquy, or the, uh, not the soliloquy, that wraps up the inclusio. Let me get back to Proverbs 10 now. But not quite. It almost wraps up the inclusio. The inclusio has a footnote. (laughs) It has an addendum. The inclusio has uh, verse 12 that follows. Because the inclusio, and here's a point in point nine, Proverbs 10, 12 follows the conceals violence inclusio with another concealment. There's another covering that we should be engaged in. The Hebrew verb bakasa, I think it is. It's, it's included in verse 6, it's used in verse 11, and then it's used in verse 12. So let's not cover wickedness. Let's not cover, uh, let's not use the, the, the mouth to conceal um, violence. What we do want to use the mouth for is to conceal, uh, as it says, uh, stri- uh, transgressions. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. And so as an addendum to verses 6 through 11, whereby we have wicked concealment going on, now we have a sanctified concealment that goes on. You see what I'm talking about? And it's, it's, it's neat to, uh, to see how this pops up. In fact, I've got a few minutes, let me show you. Because I'm a visual learner, and I know some of you are visual learners, and um, and even if you're not, it's still kind of cool to look at. So go to Proverbs ten six, and uh, I'll close off these other um, Septuagint and Hebrew texts there. All right. I'm going to make it big enough to read, but small enough to see the whole paragraph. So don't, don't, don't panic if, if you're, you sat in the back row and you can't quite read this this morning. Um, but there's verse 6, blessings are on the head of the righteous, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. And then you scan down to verse 11 again, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. All right. And so you get a little curious and you decide, you know what, I'm, I, I want to know more about what it means to conceal and so I'm looking at that word there to conceal, and I'm finding the, uh, the lemma here, kasa, to cover, to conceal, or to forgive, and I want to do a word study on that. And so it brings up the word study there, all right? And in bringing up the word study there, not only do I have the, uh, the color wheel to the left, and I've got all the information on the left that I typically go to, um, it starts with... Um, Starts with your uh, lexicons up there, and then it gives you your translations down here. Shows you the 151 places that it's used in the Old Testament there. Gives you some other information. But at the same time it's doing that, what happened to my window on the right? It's remarkable is that um, three words turned red there. Got a red highlight there in the Bible on the right. All right, Not only... Uh, because what it, what it does now, and this is a new feature, um, it has this corresponding highlight to 
lemmas to vocabulary when you have a dictionary open, when you have a, uh, a, a word study open, or you have a commentary open, or, or other things. When you have other references open, then the software will start to highlight those words for you so that you don't miss it, so that your eye catches it, see. And so right now we're looking at kasa as a Bible word study, and, and the, the software is such a nice little helper, like a little research assistant, you know, a little, um, you know, elf, <laughs> whatever, helper. And so he's sitting on your shoulder and he's watching what you're doing, and he sees you're doing a word study on a kasa. And he goes, oh, you're doing a word study on kasa. Well, then let me help you out here. And then he highlights the kasas as they appear in, in your Bible. And, and so you spot the one there in verse 6 that you knew about because that's where you started from. And you also spot the one in verse 11, which you knew about because it's the basis for the inclusio in verses 6 through 11. But then all of a sudden it jumps out at you, well, wait a minute. There's a third use of kasa right there. That third use of kasa is in the first verse immediately after the inclusio. It just, it's like an addendum to the inclusio. It's like an extra thought tacked on uh, and, or a, a um, contradictory thought that's, plot, that's put in there in contrast, which I believe is what's happening here. Love covers a multitude of sins, right? Love covers all transgressions. And we have a verse here that gets quoted in the New Testament in First Peter and James. We've got a passage here that uh, comes out of, out of Proverbs. But you see, it's, it's kind of neat. This is, like I said, it's a new feature here in Logos 7 that, that starts to, to uh, provide for that. Anyway, love covers all transgressions. So we've got another covering that we're going to be dealing with here in, uh, in this verse. So Proverbs 10.12 follows the conceals violence inclusio with a beautiful concealment that is always done in love. A beautiful concealment that's always done in love. And this is what we're going to deal with. And we'll spend our time today in this and whatever we get don't get to we'll have for next week. But um, remember that the, the concealment of violence is the, is the wicked activity with the mouth whereby they say things of peace, but inwardly they're preparing your, your doom, right? The, the, the mouth that conceals violence is the mouth that says, hey, I'm your friend, I'm, I'm supporting you, I'm on your side, while meanwhile you're betraying them, you're, you're plotting their downfall and you are conspiring for their destruction. That's the, the mouth that conceals violence. And so that is, that is acting like a friend, lying about it, and, and preparing harm to your enemy. Now what we're talking about in verse 12, though, is, is something different. We're not talking about lying. We're not, it's, not a, it's not permission to lie. And we're not excusing sin. Love which covers a multitude of, trans, of, of uh, transgressions is not lying about the sin. It's not telling the sinner, oh, that's okay, you can do that. That's not sin anymore. Okay, that's what the world wants us to do today. The world wants us to march in pride parades and tell the sinner they're not sinners all right? That's not love. They'll tell you that love is love and whatever, and love wins and so forth, and that's not love. Love speaks the truth. Love takes no pleasure in, in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, right? Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. So concealing wickedness is not about lying about it. It's not about covering it up. It's not making excuses, but it's choosing 
to not bring those matters up in the discussion. It's choosing to leave those matters with the Lord. It's choosing to move past those matters in the recovery. It's choosing not in bitterness to keep bringing it up again and again and again and beating somebody up with it. And every time you have a fight, you bring up something that happened 20 years ago because it continues to be ammunition and whatever, okay? In, uh, in a marriage or in a, in a church or in a whatever, okay? No, love doesn't bring those things up. Love lets those things go. And that's the, the principle on it there. So this is a covering. This is a covering, and kasa, I think, is, is very akin to kafar, and sometimes are used in similar applications for covering sin. All right? Um, I didn't put it on the screen, but I think um, Psalm 32, how blessed is the man whose uh, sins are not taken into account, whose sin is covered. Okay? Yes. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Right? And this was, really, this was the pinnacle of, of Old Testament soteriology. This is the pinnacle of until... Jesus, until the Lamb of God can take away the sin of the world, then an Old Testament believer was just rejoicing in the fact that their sin was covered. That atonement covered the sin. And love didn't bring it up. But nevertheless, they didn't go to heaven when they died. They were not in the presence of God until uh, Jesus brought, uh, led captivity captive. Okay, They went to Abraham's bosom. They went to paradise. They went to that place of rest and comfort and paradise until such time as the Lamb of God could take away the sin of the world. Only then can Abraham's bosom, can paradise be transferred to heaven. God's not going to bring all that sin to heaven. Okay. So, it's not on the screen, but the idea of covering that's there in uh, Psalm 32, I, uh, I enjoy it tremendously. All right, let's go to uh, Psalms, uh, Proverbs 17. Because this is going to come back again another time in Proverbs. Proverbs 17.9. I think it's a little bit more uh, developed than we have in chapter 10. He who conceals a transgression seeks love. So what's the motivation to keeping it quiet? What's the motivation for showing grace? What's the motivation for, for, um, for doing this? It's, it's a love motivation. But he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. <laughs> There's the blabbermouth. There's the guy that can't wait to go spread that story as far and wide as they can. To, oh man, look what I learned. Oh man, did you hear about this? Oh man, you know. And, and uh, no, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't do that. We keep it minimal. We keep it close to the vest. We keep it close. That's why in church discipline you take one or two you know, first of all, you just go by yourself. It's one-on-one. And if, if you win him, you've won your brother. And then if he doesn't listen to you, then you take one or two. And if he listens to the two or three, great, you've won your brother. You see, that's the principle here. That we're not looking to repeat a matter. We're not looking to separate intimate friends. We're not looking to, to go blab everything to everybody. He who conceals a transgression seeks love. And I hope this is clear. We're not excusing things. We're not covering things. We're not helping a criminal cover their tracks. That's not what this is about. The motivation is love. It's the love of God. It's the glory of Jesus Christ. It's these things that we understand. Particularly, I mean, 
We understand them much more in the New Testament, but it has its foundation in the Old Testament as well. Tragically, Septuagint translators blew it. They didn't use uh, agape. Anyway, they, uh, it's phileo here in the, in the Septuagint, or philia, but the, um, and, and I say tragically, but the, the glories of agape were not revealed until the New Testament, until the church. It, the, the whole blessings of sacrificial, unconditional integrity love, God's love of agape was not comprehensively developed in the Hebrew vocabulary. See, and so I don't, I'm not shocked that the Septuagint render, uh, people failed to uh, put the agape principle there. I would have certainly put it there uh, because we're seeking love. All right, 1 Corinthians 13, 5. I referenced it earlier. Let's look at it. Verse 4 says, Love is patient, love is kind. These are verbs, by the way. They look like adjectives. Um, Love patiently endures. Love does kind things. Love is not jealous. Love does not brag. Love is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. Well, that describes 21st century American culture, doesn't it? Um, Pretty soon we're going to have to find a new word for culture when culture isn't really culture anymore. Um, Does not act unbecomingly. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered. And that's the point right there. I think it matches up well with Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 17. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. You're not keeping a list. You don't have an index and an inventory of all the ammunition for your next fight based upon stuff that happened in the past. All right? Love doesn't do that. The opportunity to not bring it up the opportunity to uh, to just keep it quiet, and, and and you'll find the blessing when that moment is there, and you close your mouth, and you don't throw it in their face. You don't even say it, and they and they know you could, and they know you're not. It's a grace moment. It's a powerful grace moment. It provides for reconciliation and it provides for uh, peace between brothers. It provides some amazing things. Okay, And he may even provide uh, additional fruit down the road where they can then follow up and say, hey, I appreciate you're not bringing that up. I, pre- I know you could have. I know you wanted to. <laughs> no, I didn't want to. I chose not to. And then, man, it gets better after that. The uh, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. See, and um, I made somebody mad when I didn't. Um, well, there, there, there's so much going on, and, and our world is so evil. And um, uh, somebody was doing something that they called a wedding. That's not a wedding, and they called it a marriage. It's not a marriage. And uh, everybody was sending congratulation notes on Facebook and little cards and, hey, I'm happy for you. And I did not. In fact, when I was asked about it, I said, I'm not happy. And I'm not happy and I'm not congratulating. I'm grieving and I'm praying for repentance. 
and this is the verse why. And I was accused of not having love. And I said, no, I'm applying love. And here's my love. What you're doing is not love because you're rejoicing in unrighteousness and love doesn't do that. And so I'm not your pastor. I won't tell you what to do or what not to do, but the person I was talking to, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to send a, I'm not going to attend a wedding and I'm not going to send a card. I'm not going to tell them I'm happy for them because I'm not happy for them. And they're not happy for themselves. They think they are. But the, the happiness they have is not the, the Makarios from the Lord. I know that. So does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And you'll find the power of love when you bring it into focus like this. And then if it sparks opposition, oh well. But it, you're, it, it's going to empower everything else. It's going to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endures all things. Love is the, is the primary of the, of the operational functions. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And so, um, yeah, we, we don't keep a list of wrongs. And, and so am I, is, that, is that hypocritical? Am I saying two things out of both sides of my mouth? How can I on the one hand not keep a list of wrongs, but on the other hand, you see what I'm saying? They're both true. And I'm not keeping the list of wrongs as ammunition to throw against them, you see what I'm saying? But still, wrong is wrong, right is right, and love has to have the right application. All right. So uh, does not, you know, the main point of what connects to Proverbs here is does not take into account a wrong suffered. We're not going to speak that in, as an accusation or weapon against the person. That ought to be clear. James 5.20 and 1 Peter 4.8. Now these are the direct citations uh, of, of the principle. James 5.20. I wonder how much of Proverbs uh, James knew as a child. And then I wonder how much became so much more alive to him as soon as he got saved. <laughs> you know? I mean, he doesn't get saved until after the resurrection. He's an adult male son after the resurrection. And then he gets saved... But I think some of these Proverbs he was probably grounded in as a youth, I suspect, in Joseph and Mary's home. And um, with Jesus for a big brother, I expect they, they learned some Proverbs along the way. But then how much more does it come alive once he gets saved? And uh, I'm not shocked then that James is the wisdom literature of the New Testament. That it's, it's basically Proverbs for Christians. It's, it's, the, it's the Greek New Testament equivalent of Proverbs the wisdom literature for the body of Christ. So in James 5.20, or back up, verse 19, My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And this comes, this a direct allusion coming right out of Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 17 related to this. Because they're straying from the truth and you're bringing them back. You're not saying, oh, well, it's okay. Find whatever works for you. No, you're bringing them back to the truth. You're speaking the truth in love. And uh, you're not making it an issue out of the, the sins they were doing in the meantime. You're happy to have them back. You're the father, not the older brother or the prodigal. So when the prodigal comes back, you're, you're happy to have him back and you're not, uh, not uh, verbalizing the the prostitutes and the pigs and the, everything else that he frittered away the wealth with. You, stuff doesn't get talked about. 
not even proper to be mentioned. Why, why are you bringing it up? 1 Peter 4, 8. And then we're out of time. I'm amazed I preached 56 minutes without coffee. I didn't think it was possible. 1 Peter 4, 8. Verse 7 says, The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Let's know the day and age in which we live, this present evil age, let's live accordingly. And above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Right out of Proverbs 10. Right out of Proverbs 10. All right. Lord willing, rapture pending, we'll come back again next week. We might even have water. Oh, we got to have water. Lost Pines is coming on Sunday. We got a double church service on Sunday and a potluck. And all right, pray hard. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your truth. And again, our building repairs are in your hands. It's your building, Father. You gave it to us. You paid for it. We're just thankful you're so faithful and all of these things. So, Father, uh, I rejoice in the uh, recommendation that this uh, plumbing company was recommended to us. And we just accept uh, your grace provision every step of the way. Thank you for being faithful. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.